Hi, I'm Nickel, and you're now listening to the Fizzoc podcast. I'm here with Dav. Say hi, Dav. Hi. Um, so as the title would suggest, we're talking about physics and philosophy today. So um, before we get into it, let's say hi to our listener. Hi, Dad. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, cue the intro music. Uh, I wanted to start off with why physics and philosophy are linked. So wh- why do you think they're linked? Because I remember when I told people that I was going to be studying physics and philosophy, um, which I didn't actually end up doing, but I told people I was going to be doing it, and they were like, why would you do that? They're completely separate things. I mean, yeah, you always get the incredulous sort of uh, the looks of despair, disgust, and then the sort yeah. of uh, it all clicks when you tell them. I mean, I've always, I've always seen them to be pretty much linked uh, yeah but in people's heads it's like studying a dual honors in maths and history oh it doesn't make any sense they're two sides of the same coin i mean i'm sure you know this but when when uh when i have to justify it uh you know wherever i'm at and someone says uh you know uh, the the inevitable why just yeah. why to my degree and then i just say well they're just two sides of the same coin it's just, that's all it is uh you know you've got I mean, if you really want to get into it, the whole like... Uh... Well, we've got a whole hour to fill, <laughs> so why don't we? We've okay. got nothing to do other than get into it. Right, if you want to get into you know, how the... I mean, in the classic Eurocentric fashion, uh, you know, back back in the ancient Greek times, uh, they their philosophy was split up into... You, know, you had natural philosophy and social philosophy and... Uh, yeah, natural, natural philosophy natural, is what we yeah. do as science. Yeah, physics came out of natural philosophy, so... Um, but to be honest, it was just all the sciences. Uh, and science back then was just, if you're not using mythology to Explain everything, yeah. then that was science, yeah. yeah I remember when... Um, yeah, I learned about this ages ago, but like, this guy Thales of Miletus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, don't know if you heard about him. I have not, but that's a cracking name. Yeah, he, he thought... Uh, what was that? Thales of Miletus. Ah. Uh, yeah, he maybe I'm mispronouncing it, but he he's one day sought out to you know actually quantify the world, and then he's known as the the father of philosophy, of physics, of astronomy. You name it, he's probably done it. Like, ah, fair enough. So I always thought that the the split off was the scientific method and yeah. all of that. So. Uh, I mean that's modern that's modern physics. So, ah, yeah, yeah. True. So I mean in uh, in recent in, in modern physics and modern philosophy you've got the divide. In, you know, it's got, you've got the philosophy of science, where like, yeah. that is all scientific method, and you know the the one I think the philosopher Feyerabend talks about is astronomy versus astrology. Yeah. But he actually argues it almost satirically that astrology is a science. Uh, yeah. And he defends that point to make it clear that to make, science, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To Even s- though it's so intuitive that it's not oh, science. Yeah. It's, it's almost insulting to astronomers. To yeah. Say, yeah. Oh, very insulting. Oh my god. Can you imagine if we just ranked our professors on the same level as like Karen from the column, the astrology column in the Metro? Oh god. I mean, you know, it is. Uh, I think yeah. That's that's why Feyerabend wrote his paper. I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, you know, he just said that the fact that there's no scientific method in that kind of illustrates his yeah, point. Yeah, it's, it's not really real. And if anyone's done an experiment, it's not real. Scientific method is terrible. Yeah, what do you what do you say then? Obviously you don't you didn't study physics and philosophy, but No, I didn't end say? up doing it. So I would always just say like um they're both sort of in the pursuit of big answers just from a different angle. So like the question of what what is happening is very much a physics question because you can like put numbers on things and there's forces and all of that and then as soon as you go why is this happening why is it like this then you get onto sort of anthropological principle and like oh it's only happening because we're here to observe it and if we weren't here to observe it it wouldn't happen and then you can very very easily fall down that rabbit hole and um i think who was saying it was moriarty that was saying um, that you don't want to do that, that that's a terrible idea, because the more you think about it, the more your head is going to hurt. But I always thought that that was a very interesting thing to think about, definitely worth thinking about, rather than, as he always quotes, I don't know who he quotes, but he's always saying, shut up and calculate. Oh, yeah, but is that has to come from Feynman, isn't it? It's, it's always... That he was saying that yeah. was misa- misattributed in his... Because oh, really? um, we did an episode with him. Mm. Last, last episode? Yeah. 
He was saying that was misattributed. That wasn't fun. That's some good continuity there then. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, I didn't know that. But yeah, I mean, it's always infinitely easier to, uh, you know, as someone who's done physics and philosophy, it's always yeah. infinitely easier to not ponder the existential, or maybe ponder it a bit, but not yeah. let it consume you. Like, I mean, I've always had the view that physics happens whether yes. you see it or not. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, of it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a matter of, no one hearing a tree in the forest. Yeah, it's that the tree is. I hate fallen. that argument. Yeah. The tree is already falling. Yeah, so that's silly. I yeah. di dislike that argument so very much. I mean, it's to do with observation, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. But then we ca we can get onto um, observation and all of that because that ties into quantum physics, and I think we'll we'll leave that for a little bit later. We'll tease everyone and leave that for later. Oh yeah, but um. Yeah, I wanted to get into what you did on your course and what it was like doing maths and essays at the same time. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it, it's quite an odd skill set. Well, not odd, but definitely a complete skill set. Oh, yeah, uh, very yeah. well-rounded. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, so in, in first year, I mean, for everyone who might be listening who did physics, uh, you know, I did, first year, obviously, did Newton-Einstein, did the maths module, did the computer science module didn't actually do com uh, QP nor Frontiers. Although no, I, QP yeah. was the only important one. <laughs> yeah, You could have literally just not done scientific computing and done QP and it would have been better. Oh yeah, no, I, did, I didn't, but then at the end of the day, I think I regret, well, it, was, it wasn't my choice, but I still regret not doing yeah. it. I, I did ask to be on Frontiers, but then COVID cut that short. Oh no, Frontiers um, was horrible. But yeah, and then it, it was so all over the place because they were trying to teach you high level stuff at a low level and it no. just didn't happen. I, I you know I quite enjoyed the, the quantum stuff with Sharp and then Botel, I didn't get, I had like two lectures with him before COVID yeah. uh, and the lockdowns, but it would be nice to do it. But um, yeah, and then that's obviously physics. And from philosophy's point of view, I used to, in first year, I did um, this module called Mind, Knowledge and Ethics. Oh uh, yeah. So that's obviously a very gentle introduction to philosophy of mind, epistemology and ethics. Yeah, so how do they teach it? Do they teach it in a historical fashion? Do they like start with the Greeks and move forward or do they section it off? So it's quite funny because a lot of the time when people quote, not quote, but they, they, they ask me about why, what philosophers I've studied and yeah. ask me for names. I actually say names that they've not heard of. Yeah. Like, so we didn't go to the Greeks. So philosophy of mind, we had Descartes, we had the brains in jars. Obviously you've got Descartes. Yeah. I mean, it would be... It'd be a bit silly not yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, I, d I didn't really agree with his argument all too much, but it's, yeah, it's but important. Yeah, he, but he's the main man. Yeah. But then you've got guys like Hume and Locke. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's that was a gentle introduction, like the Lee... Not Lee, but the, yeah, Hume the is segue. the English one, right? Yeah, I think there's Hume and Locke, one of them Scottish. I think might both be Scottish, to be honest. But I know for a fact that, well, they were both uh, very influential in, yeah. the, you know, in, in the development of... Uh, ethics and philosophy. And they did a lot of state of nature stuff as well, didn't they? Yeah, there was the treatise on human uh, experience. I'm not really sure of the name, but yeah, the full the full name is uh, treatise on human nature by Hume. That's what we studied in first year. If you've ever seen a picture of Hume, he's quite a funny looking man. His face is so very round, <laughs> and he doesn't look intelligent <laughs> at all. But this man is a genius. The fact that you know that off the top of your head, <laughs> that's actually incredible but yeah human log um we I, I couldn't really tell you much on what we did we did a lot of russell as well uh for knowledge and then obviously as i had covid hit and um, yeah. we didn't get to do much on ethics but after that we also did metaphysics science and language as 10 credit module which actually i know if, uh at least one of the fourth years is taking that oh. uh, this year yeah he um it's it, it's a very good module, I'd say. It's a very gentle introduction to yeah. like, ship of I tried to take a philosophy module. I yeah. don't think they'd let me. I'm sure you have, like, fair credits. Yeah, yeah. Well, what can you do? I think I was going to do um, philosophy of religion one, actually. Oh, that was the alternative one for that one. Uh, it was metaphysics, science, language, or religion. Yeah. And uh, I think everyone, at least in my cohort, well, all four of us, we, uh, we all took the same one because it was a no-brainer at that point. Fair enough. Um, I don't know, I wanted to do philosophy of religion because I feel like it gets a bad rap these days. After the whole, after Nietzsche killed God, everyone has just been shitting on religion. <laughs> it's not been fun for those guys. Oh no, I think, I think it's not, it, it is, it doesn't help that religion, yeah, it's uh, been moved into uh, almost, well it doesn't have the signs of moving the similar state, strata, stratum as religion. In the sense, I mean, Feyerabend has said that science is now like almost science is now a religion, like, yeah. Like. But the thing is, it's not. Uh, I disagree with him in that sense. But it's it is equally 
it's as important as the church used to be for the state. Science is definitely, it should definitely be as important. Mm, I don't know. I don't know about that one because I feel like the church created a moral sort of binding for everyone and science just can't do that. It just is incapable of doing oh, that because it's so objective. That's not what I mean. I just mean like the importance of oh, society right, should right, hold right, in society. Right, 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 yeah. yeah should, should be... How we should look at things from a scientific angle yeah. when we're talking about what to do with society. I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay, right. Rather than a direct one-for-one replacement. Yeah, no, it, should, it shouldn't just be a case that science is on the basis of moral judgment. I think that... that That's is, a terrible yeah. way to go about things. Oh, no, it, it, I don't <laughs> think that would be a good society at all. Um... But yeah, and then they speak. You know, speaking of uh, things not to do, uh, I learned stuff not to do, like uh, logically, in also in first year, the reasoning argument and logic module. Oh, yeah. uh, that is. That seems quite scientific as well. Yeah, I think a lot like logic, especially, is one of those things which is actually very mathematically heavy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll get into that later about when I talk about my third year, but. Um, yeah, it's like because I've then. got a few mates that do maths and mm. they have logic modules. Oh, and yeah. then all the computer scientists do logic as well. And then to have you doing it in philosophy is quite weird. Yeah, it's it, I mean the Principia Mathematica. Like it goes, it goes all this, all this. That's pages and pages. That's Isaac logic. Newton's book. I, I mean, I think it was that one. Um, again, it could. That's be. the one where he outlines the three laws. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, I, I I can remember the quote where it goes one plus one equals two, and this is quite an important result. And it takes volumes. Oh, no, you're talking about um, Alan. I think it was Alan Turing or someone like that. It was Prince Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Over Bertrand Russell. Bertrand? Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, No, I I do remember coming across that in a YouTube video or something. Veritasian did one. I think it's called The Whole of the Bottom of Maths. Uh, I think he talks about it in that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, we've definitely gotten off topic because we're now talking about completeness in mathematics. So basically, I like to explain these things just in case people are a bit lost. Mm. Basically, what we're talking about is in, I want to say, the 50s, 40s or the 50s, um, there was a massive debate in maths whether you could mathematically prove that everything is mathematically provable, which sounds quite like easy to do like obviously you can prove everything mathematical mathematically but these guys were writing volumes and volumes on how that you can mathematically prove that there are some unprovable truths and alan Turing did a lot on it he's the only name i know off the top of my head but there was a lot of people that did a lot of work on this and um, basically what this means is that you can have truths that you can't verify in maths that are logically sound. So one of them is the twin primes conjecture, mm-hmm. which is an interesting one, which is just like there's an infinite number of primes that are plus two apart. And there's all sorts of stuff like that. But that's basically what we're talking about. Yeah, because we were talking about logic and we got there somehow. <laughs> I mean, logic leads to maths. It's a yeah, of course. pretty sound conclusion for that. Which again is another intersection between philosophy and sciences and oh, STEM yeah. and all that. I mean, that, like, yeah, so in my, in my third year, I did, um, I mean, we'll go on that later, but philosophy of AI. So yeah. that's also another intersection of uh, philosophy and something in STEM. Yeah, that's the one thing I dislike about how people see philosophy is they don't, it's, it's a sort of invisible blanket that covers pretty much every other bit of academia. Yeah. Like you can think about talking about the fo- the po- the past the past in like a philosophically correct way and all of that and you can sort of look at all of the other subjects from a philosophical viewpoint but people just think it's like greek dudes looking at circles <laughs> <laughs> I think the I think there is definitely uh, the educational system is partly to blame yeah also I guess shifting societal standards like I mean, back in, I think the 70s, Feyerabend was already lamenting the decline of the physicist philosopher. I mean, he, yeah. he himself was a great... Uh, polymath, as yeah, they called him. Yeah, he was a polymath, but I think it was standard for philosophers to be, physicists to be philosophers. Ah. So not like acad- academic philosophers in the sense of pushing out papers on yeah, yeah, yeah. philosophical topics, but having a grounding in philosophy as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, so yeah, yeah he, was, uh, he was a physicist, 
he fought uh, for Austria in World War Two, got injured, changed his values, and then uh, became a philosopher. Ah. Uh, and uh, very, very good philosopher. What was this guy's name again? A Feyerabend. Uh, he, yeah, I, I did an essay on him uh, in my second year. He talked about essentially his view of the scientific method. Was like, yeah. There was no scientific method at all. And in fact, Which is the one you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So it's just anything goes. Yeah. Is, is the is the catchphrase of what he he wrote about. I don't know how far I agree with that. <laughs> I, it, I guess if you get the results and yeah, you, you've got a metric. I, I think if you can justify the structure that you have mm. in, in some sort of measurable way and have it repeatable and verifiable by someone else. Yeah, I mean, that, that verification comes from Karl Popper, who came before Feyerabend. and he uh. actually, he, he was talking about, yeah, well, not verification, but falsification. Yeah. If, if something will falsify your, your work, you should probably... Um, yeah. Include that in your paper and say, for example, you know, if, if, if creating uh, unfalsifiable stuff is not scientific, yeah. like there's invisible fairies controlling everything, because but you can't see them because they're invisible. Oh, and yeah. It's unfalsifiable because you can't see them because they're invisible, and so it's like a circular argument. Exactly, yeah. and that's that's a fallacy that you can easily fall into, and you aren't well versed in well fallacy and logic. Yeah. But I think you can, it's intuitive, I think, uh, mm. not falling into bad practice. Mm. We, we have to learn about it, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something but that you, you can But the thing is, is putting it. names on it makes you think about it more. Because even though it's intuitive and it's sort of like just in your head, just telling you to do the right thing, as soon as you put a name on it, you can go, okay, I'm not doing this in the best possible way, even though it's intuitive. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's all sort of like... You can you can spend hours uh, looking at different kinds of fallacy and different kinds of like bad form. I mean, yeah. turns out the term uh, yeah, the term bullshit is actually a technical term. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's what I remember very very vividly in first year. We were told it's what politicians do a lot of, but it wasn't a political statement. It was genuinely just waffling ah. to circ you know, just circumvent your point. Ah, okay, uh, okay, dancing around the question yeah. and so forth. So it has a distinct philosophical definition i didn't know yeah that. it's it's uh it is a distinct fallacy that you can well it's not even a fallacy it's a poor form of argument it's just terrible yeah <sighs> don't get me started talking about politicians <laughs> we're not we're not we're not erring on that no, side no. not at all so what what got you into both of the subjects then so why don't we start with physics okay i mean physics is quite odd because you know a lot of people i've spoken to they want to do physics from quite young age like, yeah. I was I was slightly older not exactly sure when but I always knew I wanted to do STEM like when I was younger yeah. I knew I was not going to be doing history oh 100% like, I was the same yeah. I literally you could have if you told me when I was like 10 oh you're going to probably end up doing English I would tell you you're a liar oh yeah like I, I'd 100% been in that same boat but I really enjoyed philosophy at school. Like, yeah. Uh, in fact I, like, I didn't really know if I wanted to study academically but I was always interested by it and yeah i guess when i'm not sure exactly when but i know for a fact that i wanted to do physics before gcse's or around around then yeah and then um when i was looking at ucas uh scrolling through the courses, i was looking for a physics course you know yeah. physics and astro uh physics and astronomy physics and astrophysics they were the top two in my mind and then I saw physics and philosophy. I thought, drop everything else. That course, that's the one, that's yeah. the one I yeah, have yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's not even the case. Like I didn't consider anything else like employability. I didn't consider like yeah. skills. I just thought that sounds so cool. Yeah. Oh that, yeah, I'll definitely. And um, that was kind of the same thing for me. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm glad I went with that. Like I put, you know, everything I had into applying for that, uh, for the universities. Yeah. So, there's not a lot of unis that offer that course. I think it's. It's five, like yeah. literally just the five UCAS slots. Yeah, it's it's Oxford, which was my top choice, unfortunately, to get in. Uh, that's a blessing in disguise. Oh, yeah. um, Imagine you at Oxford. What a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been. It would not have been fun. Um, <laughs> I can tell you that. I, I can say that I know for a fact that at least the experience I've had at Nottingham has been a lot, a lot yeah. more accommodating oh, than yeah, I yeah. think Oxford could ever be. Um, but yeah, Nottingham was my second choice. Uh, became my first choice instantly after I uh, did not get into Oxford. Yeah. Um, I looked at Leeds, uh, but their course actually called, their course is Philosophy and Physics, and it's a BA. 
Oh. At least when I was applying, which, you know, imagine, no, that's not as appealing yeah. at all. And imagine doing a physics degree, or at least a lot of a physics degree, and then and then getting get a, a BA. BA. Yeah, uh, and then there was uh, York, but that was physics with philosophy, which isn't the same. Yeah, and Manchester was physics with philosophy, but Manchester was asking for ridiculous grades. Come on, like A star, A star, A, just because Brian Cox is there. <laughs> but, I, mean, yeah, I didn't even know that Brian Cox was at Manchester. Yeah, he, I mean, I mean that's, I'm pretty sure. To that's be why. fair, Manchester are the graphene guys, so you got to give it to them. Yeah, that's that's pretty. There's a lot of prestigious history going on there, even True. though it was like in 2002. Yeah, I mean, I, I then at the end of the day, like my last two choices were actually, yeah, I had uh, Nottingham and Leeds, but. It was ne- I was never going to go to Leeds. Leeds was just a formality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just to fill it out. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I... Um, it, is, it, is, it is odd that not many universities do it. I guess you can do it through natural sciences. You can yeah, pick true. physics and philosophy through natural science. But not a lot of people even know what natural sciences are. Like, true. It's just not one of those things that's explained to... 18 year olds when they're applying oh yeah it, it's like it didn't even the thought didn't even cross my mind that i could possibly do natural science i wouldn't have done it but i didn't even consider it i actually uh my last slot was filled up by durham Ooh. Uh, physics and philosophy for is that because sciences. you did you have to apply for durham if you apply for oxford no no no, no. it was just <laughs> is, I applied... that, is that like do you have to do that no i applied there just with the wrong statement just as like a sort of if everything else goes wrong yeah and there's a chance that they say yes to the wrong personal statement then, uh, well, that's a stroke of luck. Yeah. But um, again, I'm glad nothing came of it. Yeah, uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's what a lot of people say about Nottingham is they're definitely glad that they ended mm-hmm. up here. Well, yeah, we have yeah, Mansfield to, to thank oh, yeah. for MRI and also the Nobel Prize, right? Yeah, so yeah. at least we, at least... We've got two Nobel yeah. Prizes. One of them is in geography. Yeah, but... I didn't know they gave um, Nobel Prizes in colouring in, but <laughs> <laughs> here we are. All right. <laughs> <laughs> We can't have that in. I might edit that out. Yeah, but we've got it. I think anything bashing out of it, so I think we've got that. No. But I mean, yeah, there, there's other things I, I was going to talk about as well. About, uh, but yeah, I didn't even. So I haven't studied philosophy formally at any point, but I would say I have more of an interest in it than most because most people don't even know like the basic names and all of that. It's quite funny because whenever, yeah, as we said at the start, like when we talk to people and tell, or at least. In my in my case, when I tell them I do physics and philosophy, they almost switch off of the uh, they switch off of the physics. They yeah. suddenly not suddenly, but they want to talk about the philosophy and ask me. Yeah. I think ask me questions about it, but that's more accessible to people to explain things that you know thought processes that people take for granted. Or, yeah, uh, and it's it's easier to explain because there's no maths. You can just use plain English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And any terms you don't understand. Is, yeah. And it's very easy to anchor it in examples as well because um, you were saying this before we recorded. What was the word you used? I think anthropoph- anthropocentrism or something. Yeah, so it's based around people. So it's much, much easier to communicate the ideas. Yeah, I mean, that, that's uh, oddly enough, with my philosophy, I kind of shied away. I shied away. I, I avoided like social philosophy, political yeah. philosophy, just because I wanted to supplement my physics with philosophy. Yeah. And supplement my philosophy with physics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. My, you wanted them to play into each other. Yeah, in my second which year. Which is fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, fully. I mean, my second year, I wrote an essay on time travel, backwards time travel. And yeah. uh, I disagreed so thoroughly with the viewpoint of one of the papers that I just binned it off and just wrote from reference of physics. Oh. I was, uh, yeah, I started writing about Kurt Gödel and the toroidal space times. Yeah. Don't know if it's 100% backed up. And to be honest, I wouldn't, I, I don't think it would be backed up. But the fact that I got an argument that was more cohesive, yeah. coherent in my eyes, than someone just saying, backwards time travel is possible if you disregard physics. Yeah. I thought that was a bit of an that affront. That was terrible, yeah. Uh, I mean, David Lewis, very, very esteemed, very, very respected philosopher. Yeah. But... I just could not agree. swing and a miss from him. Yeah, there, in I your couldn't opinion. agree with him any less. Oh, sorry, disagree with him any more. Yeah. than what he had to say for that uh, that essay, but yeah. And then obviously I did um, philosophy of AI, philosophy of science, uh, logic. Actually, advanced logic uh, had a prerequisite. Oh yeah. Yeah, so you have to do intermediate logic in second year. Oh well, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, but I took metaphysics instead. Oh no. And some of the other course mates I had, they. Um, 
they did intermediate logic. Yeah. And I just asked my tutor, because I have two tutors, I asked my philosophy tutor, Neil, I asked him, can I just do advanced logic? I've done maths. Like, I have yeah. a solid grounding. And he was like, yeah, sure. I'll just email the convener and tell him. <laughs> and so I didn't have to do the prerequisite. And waste, I didn't have to waste 20 credits. Do, well, not waste, but... No, but it would have been just mind-numbingly easy. Yeah, I, I think it's that, for me at least, where I am right now, it's a delicate balance between learning new things and also making sure that, like, you, you get, get some grade out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you get your grades that you need. Yeah, ironically, I've I've not managed to avoid the uh, ethics. Uh, I took, you know, in my on my course where I am now, uh, machine learning, I took an ethics module this semester. Uh, yeah. was not taught by philosophy, and it was not taught particularly well, in oh. my opinion. Um, yeah, but, well, if you've not got someone from that background, then that's understandable. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, I should have, I should maybe have dropped it, but I'm uh, too stubborn. Uh, you know, I heard in the first week, he said, uh, we don't talk about philosophy or ethics from philosophy in this, uh, in, on this module. So when I asked him, what do you talk about? He said, professional ethics. And I just thought, this is going to be a train wreck. Oh, like... Yeah. Like business practices. Yeah, pretty much. Well, oh. it was. It, you could see the foundations of where they're coming from. Yeah, but they weren't being too over rigorous. It. Yeah, it was just. It, it felt. You know, having submitted half the coursework, I feel like. Well, not feel like. I am obliged to finish the module. Yeah. No. Which, definitely. Yeah, I, I used to before signing on to this masters. I wanted to do engineering straight after mm. physics and philosophy, and then I realised this course. Well, I might get the title engineer at the end of it. I might become a machine learning engineer, but it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, I, I, I think it's giving. It's like engineer is not a protected title in the UK or something. Oh, I see. But, I see. I see. Uh, I feel like just a, you know someone who uses machine learning to yeah. Whereas M, MSc would be like have to be approved by some sort of board. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. And this is a new masters, right? Yeah. So I mean, the school of physics. You're the uh, first cohort. No, we're, I think we're the fourth or th we're, we're fairly new. That's still pretty new, to yeah, be like, fair. It is a very, very good course. Like I knew, well, I'm the only person that I, in the group of friends that I've now made in this course, that hasn't got a very, very programming heavy background. Yeah. But I, think, I can imagine you've got a lot of computer scientists. Oh, yeah. A lot of, lot of CS guys. Um, it does make me feel out of place, but given how in-depth the maths is yeah like they don't want us to go away and un not understand what this particular line of code is doing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. they don't want you to smash your head into the code uh, they want you to smash your head into the math yeah like so um we're talking about a little bit specific bits of philosophy so what 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 specific bit of philosophy would you want to talk about? Because I want to talk about epistemology yeah, and saw, all of that. I, I like. I enjoy getting to grips with the nature of knowledge. That's something that interests me. And that, I feel like, ties into physics a lot as well. Oh, yeah. What we can and can't know. Yes. Um, so when but no one talks about what we can and can't know. Oh, so there was... I remember... So in my first year, we had this long metaphysical discussion with uh, this... PhD student who I think has now actually got a position uh, teaching in a, in a research in, in, huh. in, no, in the philosophy department ah. yeah so he so we had this discussion about something called light cones which has stuck with me the entire time it, it kind of does define what you can and can't know yeah like, so I don't know if you've heard about light cones oh no of, of course I know about yeah, light cones cool. I'm doing a master's <laughs> in physics Jesus Christ dad <laughs> hey just in the event you don't know Not, like Nottingham it. hasn't failed me that much <laughs> No, but um, I'll probably just explain light cones to everyone. Um, basically, what a light cone is, is it's the um, possible points in space and time that a beam of light can travel from a point. And that means that um, it's the possible, quote-unquote, parts of information. So if you're outside of the light cone of something... There is no way for you to know that it exists at any point in time. And so the light code extends into the future and it extends into the past as well. And it's just sort of an, a, a volume in space and time where you can have something that causes something else. Exactly. That's all it is, really. Uh, yeah, and then from an epistemological and metaphysical point of view... Uh, you can then you can then say, for example, that say there the existence of aliens is true; they exist. Yeah. But if they're outside the light cone, 
We, we will know. never know that, and we can because never Because the know. light can't travel exactly. to us, and if we can't see the light, we can't know. Yeah, and also... It's but also, that kind of... Um, it's a cop-out. It is a bit of a cop-out, because then you get into the whole, you know, sensory... The interaction between sensory inputs and knowledge and all of that, and that's that's a whole mess in itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, like that's the whole problem, like, problem of hallucination and uh, illusion, which is all through perception. So yeah. we're not going to get into that, because that's a whole other... Uh, that's a um, topic of philosophy. That's Descartes again, isn't it? If yeah, it's Descartes. It goes. It, it spans pretty much anyone who talks about mind. Uh, yeah, I think Russell talked about it about moving table, moving from one perspective to another. You don't yeah. see the same table. But obviously, you do. Yeah. From his, from the point of view, the table is not the same. Um, that was. Uh, it looks so, different, so it is different kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, to, it's, it's the thing is, is um, want to mention is that it's very easy to distill um, philosophies down into these like little sound bites and little sentences. Like the whole notion of saying, oh, if you see the table is different, it is different. It's very easy to say, but it also sounds ridiculous. But you, this guy has done like reams and reams of writing on it. And if you boil it down to just that sentence, you lose a lot of what's gone into it and what's come out of it. So I think the one cautionary thing with a lot of people when they hear about philosophy is they hear these ridiculous sound bites and they're like, nah, that's nonsense. And then they just forget about it and move on. True. I mean, it's also like the sensationalized sound bites as well. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You've got the, you've got the, on both ends of the But it does, it does have positive because it, if you have the right sound bite, it very oh, yeah. much hooks people in. Oh yeah. I mean, like it's, it is almost an exercise in picking what bits of philosophy interest people the most and yeah. trying to make sure it's the most accurate. Yeah. For you, for example, is epistemology. Uh, because that's just sort of like being my background in terms of doing a lot of STEM stuff. Yeah. Because we deal with knowledge all the time, but we don't really question where it comes from and all of that. I mean, it's what... Um, so in my second year, I studied epistemology not to like a massively specialist level but yeah. specialist enough to have its own module um wherein we i had a specific focus on understanding oh yeah uh, versus knowledge so and also does context affect knowledge can you know something in one context and not know it in another context um which is a position called you can't see this but i'm pulling a very <laughs> i'm furrowing my brow an excessive amount that's plunged me into deep thought but go on yeah so i mean the so my first essay that i wrote uh, was on contextualism so uh, depending on the stakes in the scenario yeah uh can you say you have knowledge of some event x or something x that in another scenario of different stakes you cannot say you know it so essentially you're talking about confidence intervals if you want to talk about it statistically yeah, yeah. so for the example that we did was uh, well, I can't remember which philosopher it was. Um, so the 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 scenario that my mind jumps to straight away is like when you're telling a story and you're telling it to some like a group of people, and no one knows anything about the story that you're telling. You are like super confident on the details, and you're telling it, and it's just coming out, and you're so certain that that's what happened. But as soon as someone else is there that was also there at the story when it actually transpired. They were like, oh, no, do you not remember this happened? And then I'll think about it. And I'll go, hmm, maybe I don't remember it as vividly, and maybe I don't know exactly what happened as excessively and so certainly as I did. Like, that's that's what my knee-jerk thought is when you start talking about, oh, yeah. like, can you know one thing in one situation? and not know something in another situation that's precisely it like so the the philosopher cohen and d rose d rose my, my bad um they they're basically saying how for example if you go if you need to cash a check on and the bank is only open on uh weekday okay for all those young people out there a check is like a note that you write yourself I mean, from yeah. your own bank account 
to someone else. These guys are writing in the 90s. It's fine, so. though. My, my dad is the only guy who listens <laughs> to this, and he definitely knows what a check is. Hi, Dad. Uh, <laughs> hello, Mr. Butt. <laughs> um, so, you're, uh, so say, for example, you have, uh, yeah, so you have this bank scenario. Now, say, or in fact, say someone else has this bank scenario, uh, and they're asking you if you know the bank is open. Uh, and they're new to your town, they don't know if the bank's open on Saturday. Now, say that they have to cash a check-in, but there's no worry. If, they, if the bank's closed, the bank's closed. They yeah. do it on Monday. So you, you could theoretically say on the Friday, I know the bank is open on Saturday, even if you're not 100, well, not even 100% sure, even if it might be the case that it's closed. Yeah. You can say it, because your actions don't matter that in, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not that much. Yeah. But if you, if your friend has to absolutely cash his check in, uh, and if it, if it doesn't go in, oh, like right. say say they're going into town already, and yeah. they're just going to be near the bank, and they're like, oh, do you know if it's yeah, open yeah. on Saturday? But they they're just going to be there anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like the thing is, if, if the consequence is that they you know they lose their house, you know they they, yeah. they fail they default on the rent, the mortgage, or yeah. they, there's a payment they haven't made that drastically costs them, you cannot tell them that you know the bank is open on Saturday. Yeah, the doubt that you have for your own knowledge is so much greater it's, because the stakes are high. But I think the doubt is still the same. But it's that, it's the, yeah, if you if you have the same doubt, oh, but the stakes have changed. Okay, yeah, right. Because now you, it's almost like in stats where you can have like say a 95% confidence interval. Yeah, confidence, you mean 5% uh, certain that yeah. something is gonna happen or not or gonna happen. Yeah, but then the thing is when the stakes change, you gotta probably up that yeah. to 99.5% chance uh, of confidence because otherwise the the ideally when you say you know something yeah you must when you know the condition has to probably be yes i know this yeah 100 percent, no doubt because you cannot know a falsehood okay but, right 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 yeah, right but the thing is in this is a more relaxed version of that what it means to know it's very interesting uh and in fact so it's basically saying like the stakes affect how confident you have to be in your answer and how confident you have to be in your answer affects whether or not you can say you know something exactly. to be true like you could you could easily say i don't know why i dropped the yeah. philosophy bit yeah, i should have just done it i, 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 <laughs> I would have been, been bloody good at it it would have been great to have you on the course to be honest like <sighs> just, just to bounce ideas off you but yeah that's the that was the first error and the second one was about understanding uh, and is it different to knowledge knowledge yeah um, which i I argued that understanding is actually a greater achievement than just knowing something. Yeah. Um, but the problem is it's quite hard to define understanding. A lot of philosophers, um, there is a philosopher who um, is, I don't think I referenced his argument, but I remember very, very distinctly uh, that you have, yeah, it's got a guy called Grimm uh, with two M's. Uh, GRI double M. Yeah, so Ooh. he he argued that uh, it's a concept of grasping. Yeah. But the problem there is that you have to now define what grasping, what grasping is. Yeah. yeah, and like, I mean, you know, so one of the arguments I wrote about was, say, little Timmy's house is burnt down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, is his dad or his mom or, uh, you know, anyone tells him. His parent or guardian. Yeah, parent or guardian is probably a better way of putting it. <laughs> tells him later on that... Uh, he the house is gone yeah uh and so little timmy will say to the teacher the next day his house is gone yeah but then then the parent or guardian will tell them later on it it's gone because it burned down in a fire yeah and now the teacher asks why yeah did your, oh, is your house gone timmy will say it's burnt down in a fire yeah does timmy understand what that means or does he just know why the house is gone are, are they the same thing and the doubt is there because he's a child. Exactly. Like, he's not seen fire before. He okay. doesn't know what fire does. He, he, he didn't even see the fire. He, just, he, he didn't see the fire. No, okay. he's just, right, he's right, just been right. told his house has gone because it burnt down. Now, does he truly understand why his house has gone? Or does he just know why? Or is there something else? That, that's one of the Does things. he just know the line of, oh, it burnt down? Or does he understand that the house caught was engulfed in flames and now no longer exists. That's the thing. So in the first case, we assume that he doesn't know that because he's never seen a fire and he yeah. doesn't know what fire is. And then 
you, as you said, he's just parrot. He, he's parroting. Yeah. And parroting is not, as I say, and a lot of philosophers agree, it's not understanding. Yeah. You can say, for example, I say for I don't know, uh, say say black holes. Say, yeah. You know, all the relativity that goes, the gravitational yeah. uh, physics, the you know, the weird Hawking radiation. So I don't stuff. understand that. Yeah. But I can parrot it. Yeah, exactly. I, I I could do the same if someone told me exactly what to say. And exactly, say someone asks me a question. Yeah. Say I was to give a presentation or a lecture, yeah. and then they've prepared a list of questions yeah. that I've memorized the answers to all the questions. Do I understand it truly if I don't understand the maths? Say someone who's never looked at maths but gives this talk. Uh, yeah. Talk. You can't understand it truly without the maths because yeah. the maths is the language that you understand it in, and then you just sort of have hit a circular argument again. Have we done that? I feel like we have. Uh, yeah, we've had we have hit a circular argument. There's all sorts of understanding, uh, and it's a it's a very very interesting topic. Yeah. Um, and I I argued it from the point of view of science. Like, can, you know, can you truly understand? Say, you know, like, I used the the most you know, iconic equation, e equals m two squared. Yeah. In my essay, I was like, can you know? Can you understand it if you just know the terms and know what the terms mean? Yeah. Or can do you have to understand? Just to go through as we've done three years of. Uh, physics so, you know, to do to get you know when we did atoms yeah starting to talk about it do you have to do that to understand it or can you understand it without that that amount of physics that goes behind it mm. it's so the, the the aspect that I was looking at it from knee jerk was um, when you talk about expressing things in terms of equations there's always a little bit that we ignore even with the MC squared the particles at rest like that's the assumption with E equals MC squared, because if it's moving, then it's got a mass associated with its movement energy, its kinetic energy. And you can do this with all sorts of things. So thermodynamics is based off of a lot of assumptions, and those assumptions allow us to understand the system as a whole, right? We understand what's going on in the steam engine because of the assumptions. But we don't understand, we can't explain what's happening to these five random atoms over here. We don't have that understanding at all. So I feel like there is definitely, even though you understand something, there is levels within that understanding as well. Oh yeah, I mean, that is also in uh, actually the and then I think, lecturer oh, who yeah, uh, gave this module, he was talking about this sort of levels. Uh, yeah. Michael, Michael Hannah was talking about these different levels of understanding and levels of knowledge. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, he argued it to be almost parallel. So yeah. you can know something, but not understand it. But you can't, well, not parallel, but you can know something, not understand it, but you can't understand something and not and know not it. And not know it, yeah. yeah. But I think you can't ever understand anything fully because that would be omniscience. Exactly. But then so would knowing anything, everything fully as well. So, yeah, uh, well, I feel like the, the thing with knowing everything is it's just a matter of time. Knowing stuff and knowing stuff just like takes time. You can know your times tables and you can know what happened on this day at this time. You just you can know everything. But I feel like it would be impossible to understand everything. Mm, I mean, like it, for a person to understand everything. Yeah, I mean, the one thing you've got to be careful when you talk about omniscience is obviously you're also knowing the exact position, momentum of true, every true, single true, 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 particle. True, true, true. Yeah, you know, that kind. And of... then it, it just becomes a bit blurred between yeah. knowledge and understanding. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, that uh, you you enjoy epistemology, but then the I I enjoyed it too. But I think the modules I took later on, I really I enjoyed quite a lot more. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, metaphysics, uh, I really enjoyed. Yeah, that's uh, the other thing that we could definitely talk yeah. about. That ties in. Yeah. So what is metaphysics? I mean, it literally translates to after physics. Um, oh, okay. So it's it's just, I mean, I've thrown the term around, metaphysical. You know, it just means what can you assume to be your reality? Like, it is the study of what is real, what is there, abstract yeah. concepts, uh, objects. Like existence and so forth. Yeah, on. but... Um, well, because yeah, in physics much. we just suppose that everything exists. Yeah, you, you suppose what you suppose that what you're dealing with exists, but you kind of have to if you're yeah. dealing with it mathematically. I mean, it kind of just does exist, though. Like, 
Oh, it, yeah. it can't not exist. That's one of the founding principles of quantum mechanics is that it has to exist. I mean, do you think numbers exist? Don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm putting a stop to that. <laughs> I'm putting a stop to that. I mean, do you think we discovered mathematics or created oh, it? No, no, no. What I mean by that is just numbers are abstract objects. They are classified as abstract objects. Yeah, they, but you can have a number of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like ideas themselves are abstract objects. Not, not, not an idea. You can have an idea. No, yeah, okay. Yeah, right, idea right, right, is, right, right. I got what you're Yeah, from. so that's what I mean. Like, they, they, numbers do exist. It's a matter of classifying but, them but as... But abstract objects do exist. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's why, that's why I asked you. Do you, do you believe? So then, yeah, numbers yeah. must exist. Numbers exist. It's just, it's just that abstract objects tend to have different properties to what they call ordinary objects. So this table is an ordinary object. Well, they're not going to call them stract objects. No, they can't. That just doesn't have any ring to it. Kind of <laughs> um, but yeah, so, I mean, that was the, the two topics I really focused on were composition. Uh, so. For example, like the argument I used there was, um, well, it's something called brutal composition. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, if you take a hammer and a hammer head, uh, is that actually? Oh yeah. Uh, and then you get into the whole ship of thesis. Oh yeah. That. My favorite ship of thesis analogy. This again is for Dad. Um, do you know what? Do you know Only Fools and Horses? Have you heard? Of, have I've you heard seen of it. Only Fools? I, and I've horses? seen very few episodes. Of all Christmas. right. So there's this one character. They they all like. One of the settings that they're in is down the pub. They're always down the pub, and there's this one character called Trigger, and Trigger is a dustman. They call him Trigger because he's stupid. So it's like it's like an ironic thing, and um, he he's talking about his job, and he's like, he's like, I love this broom. I've had it all my life. I've had five new handles and six new heads. And obviously the canned laughter comes in because it's an 80s show and it's got to have canned laughter. But I've always thought that that's so... F it's, it's obviously, it's hilarious. But as soon as you start thinking about it and you're like, what's the difference between that and the ship of thesis? Why is the ship of thesis this thing that's sort of held in esteem and it's like a standard philosophical touchstone and then triggers broom is completely different and laughable because it only has two components. But I think Trigger's Broom is an example of the ship of these. Yeah. Right? Like he, he, I think the reason why, at least I find it funny, is. But why is that, Trigger's Broom hilarious? I think it's hilarious. And the ship of thesis thought provoking. But I feel like it's hilarious because you, you have an instinctive sort of idea, idea of, of what constitutes yeah, to an object. Exactly. So you're so you're sitting there and you realise that Trigger is holding very dear to him this broom that yeah. is very clearly no longer the no broom. No longer that, his yeah. broom. Because you could take the original head and the original handle and make the original yeah. broom and that would be the original yeah. broom. But again, then you've got the idea then there's the concept of the very what is the idea of the broom? Yeah. Is that continuous throughout the um, throughout its lifetime, right? Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know if this is an accepted viewpoint but I remember I scored pretty low on my of thesis essay back in first year. They made you write an essay specifically on it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I argued that say you know like say Man United or any football team you want to talk about, right? Um, okay. The, the, all, the, the idea of the club is still the club, right? Yeah, people, yeah, people yeah. People support it's the club. It's still Man United. Yeah, people support the club throughout the ages. My dad, he supports Man United. He supported it when they were good, and now they're not so good. So, um, <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, the players. R.I.P. Ronaldo. I know, right? The players. That was hilarious. The players. <laughs> the players constitute. My dad supported Spurs when they were not so good, yeah. and also when they were not so good. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> Just slightly better, but still not good. Yeah, I mean, the the, the players constitute the club. The yeah. supporters constitute the club. The board constitutes the club, but they're always revolving. But the supporters. They're always rotating. Yeah. yeah. But also the supporters are always that I mean, my dad supported United like I don't know how long he's supported for but let's assume lifelong yeah. he's seen uh, Sir Alex all Ferguson, those changes yeah, yeah. he's seen uh, Ferguson take the reins he's seen Man United at its peak and now he's seen it in its decline and his, and his trough where are they in the league I couldn't tell you I'm dead curious now fifth. Man you are fifth they're doing pretty well yeah uh, they but, could still make it to the Champions League yeah Still, they're still fighting Liverpool on the other hand oh my god yeah, I mean they're in sixth but yeah. still but uh, this is what I'm saying but the, the clubs go through so many changes but the idea so of the club cycles, yeah. yeah the club remains an idea just like I argued the ship of Theseus the ship that he's currently on despite the fact that this bad actor or curator or we're going to call him he's been picking up all the, the old all the pieces plaques, yeah. right? there's now two ships of Theseus yeah. ship of Theseus I don't actually know what grammatically 
PCs is? I, I don't know. Anyway, so there's two ships. One is made of the original... Ships of Theses. That's why that's I was thinking. That's why I thought yeah, it was. it's yeah. because it's the Theses is the place. Okay, right. Yeah. It's ships of Theses. Theseus is a character yeah. in Greek mythology. Sh- yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so you've got these two ships. One's the original, and now this one is yeah. completely new planks, right? But Theseus has still thought of this ship as his ship. Yeah. Like, so... I think it's that continuum of yeah. history. That's, that... that's what I've argued. I don't know if, it's a, if it is an acceptable standpoint, metaphysically. Yeah, because if you go back to the um, football team argument as well, like, the... I don't know how long Man has existed for, but I know that Spurs has existed for like 120 odd years. Like, what? there are no people that are currently alive that were involved in the founding of Spurs. No one on the starting 11 is alive. The manager isn't alive. None of the team is alive. They don't even use the same grounds. Yeah. But it's still Spurs. That was Spurs then, and they are now also currently Spurs. They're not the they're not a separate football team. Exactly. There's like, like that continuum of history. Yeah, which it's not like a direct replacement where all of the constituents were immediately replaced in one hit. Yeah, I mean, it's why it's why you can technically you can laugh at Trigger's love for his broom because, as I said, someone might think it's obviously not the same broom. Yeah, he still regards it as the broom he's been using. Because and the, the the ambiguity is because he didn't replace it all in one hit. Exactly, he did yeah. he did the head and then the handle. Yeah, I mean, if you replace it all in one hit, you've got a that's new a new broom. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, because you yeah. have the old broom, you haven't done anything to it. I mean, there's there's that there's. I mean, the, the one thing I think metaphysics taught me the most, and it yeah. applies to physics, is to not really worry about the whys, because you can, the brutal fact part comes in where, like, it's called a brute fact because there's, no, there's nothing that explains it, right? Yeah. So I argued that the point at which, say, this broomstick in the head of the broomstick, the point at which they become a single cohesive object is you can define it as, like, a range of points where yeah. visually they're close together, they're close enough to make the broom, but maybe yeah. there's, like, a distance. Yeah. That like you've unscrewed it or yeah, something. Right? But then I said, well, the the smallest distance you can have is plank length. Yeah. So I argued that if you have as long as the broom and the broomstick are well, I don't think they'll get, ever get that close no, due to physically atomic impossible. limits, right? But like I said, it's gotta be between an acceptable lower bound and an, an acceptable upper bound. Yeah, Where in if you pick up the broom, they don't it doesn't fall apart. It doesn't fall apart, yeah. And that visually it looks together, right? Yeah. But the thing, and, but not, not, it doesn't have to be visually, it's kind of like some invisible or like transparent yeah. plastic part of the bottom. Anyway, that, that, but the reason the brute fact was in is because one of the philosophers I was reading, he said, who cares at what point it becomes an object? Just care that it is an object. Yeah. And it's a brute fact that, yes, it's an object. We cannot, we are not going to explain why. Yeah. And I applied that lesson actually to physics. Like, mm. there's a lot of things that I could ask why about. Yeah. And a lot of things that I would love to know why. But, but you get the, to the point where it's just like, oh, God said so. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, or, pretty, like pretty much. Like you, you ask, you can keep asking. Like so, you know, why? Uh, you keep, why is the speed of light yeah. two point nine nine times ten to the I mean, if, if someone says it is the speed limit, that's just I how mean, fast it goes. Yeah, exactly. Because God said so, man. I mean, I yeah. Like tell you. you get to a why which is almost always unanswerable. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm being ignorant. No, 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 no. I feel like that's a very. Um, I think a lot of people hold that belief of yeah. like you can't just get to the point where it's the the questions don't have satisfying answers yeah. at all and there's it's just that's just how it is uh, yeah i mean that's that's what like got, an olympic yeah. kind of thing yeah it got got me through a lot of courseworks where i just stopped bothering about why and just yeah. thought i just need to know the answer and get to the answer i don't like for the purpose of this current task at hand yeah i do not need to know why, why? this product of so many terms provides an answer yeah. physically it just does and therefore if it's right i get the marks so be it if i care enough later on to look at it yeah which sometimes i did i will then Understand learn why then, yeah. yeah but again this is that, that that was a quite useful lesson actually that wasn't it was an indirect lesson that i learned i think one part of metaphysics that a lot of people don't talk about is um Eastern metaphysics as well because i was reading it was like an exo or something and it was talking about um, a chariot and it was saying that <clears throat> at what point does this collection of parts you know the the carriage the wheels the spokes on the wheels the axle the reins blah 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 you can have them all sat on the floor 
and um, they're not a chariot. Mm-hmm. It's a flat pack, really, yeah. isn't it? It's an IKEA chariot. And then he goes on to talk about the constituents of the human body and mind and soul and all that. And it's like, what about these separate things that when they're brought together makes them a person? See, that's, that's a really interesting question because this falls under what I studied for, ironically, philosophy of AI, which philosophy of AI is just philosophy of what it means to be human. Yeah, but because one, it's trying to see if we can rubber stamp these AIs as human. Yeah, which I, I severely disagree with. Yeah. It seems like. But the, th- the thing is... like the, That's going to be terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I ho- hopefully I'm dead before we have to think oh, about that. I got, I got branded AI-phobic. Uh, <laughs> like, it was the, the purposes of the, the issue and the, like, you know, the human body and mind and soul yeah. and all the parts. The parts, like, it, it, it poses the question of what makes a human a human. Yeah. And um, I remember we did philosophy of mind. I always argued that it is a combination of mind and body because mind i think at least in the philosophical sense encapsulates what is meant by soul yeah as well as uh and but not necessarily cognitive prowess yeah so it's supposed to just be essentially like uh, the mind is supposed to be um i think it's supposed to be not you can't interact with it it's an object that's you can't that cannot be interacted with and it can exist at any other point in space it's what a, do you mean by you can't interact with your own mind? No, uh, physically. Like, oh, you, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. You, you cannot... The, I, I think that was a bit of a cop-out, but I think just preserve this ancient notion yeah. of... Mind, there body, is, there, yeah, yeah, there is something... Well, that's the thing, but, my, but the sense you're using, you'll be using mind is more about brain, right? Yeah. That is also that is actually part of your physical body, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. also... Your, your brain oh, okay, right, 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 right. Mind right. is it's like essentially like what would probably be called soul but it's got something more different yeah uh which i cannot quite remember but basically the the stuff about uh yeah what makes a human human like there's the idea that i think uh that we there's a story where the, a prince and a cobbler get their essentially you could say their brains are swapped or you can uh, say freaky friday yeah, yeah basically they're they're in they find themselves in the other's body yeah now who's the prince and who's the cobbler uh, the the yeah. prince in the cobbler's body has all the ideas and all the notions you know like yeah. required it's to the be mind the prince. Of, yeah. yeah but the thing is the prince the, the cobbler in the prince's body is the one who's perceived to be the prince yes by everyone else exactly so I always took that story to mean it's it has to be a combination of the two yeah because the prince um, because comp- because even if you know that you are the prince in the cobbler's body, the perception that everyone else has is yeah. that you're just the yeah. same guy uh, that if you, you always have yeah. been. Obviously, you can try and prove it. Like if you suddenly, say, if the cobbler, well, well everyone, who everyone thinks is the cobbler, yeah. is suddenly saying how, like, oh, uh, he's saying state secrets or something. Yeah. Then or, like, the prince starts making shoes. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, 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 there'd be the, um, what would you call it, the, the public perception would be different. Yeah. But I think I always took away from that there's also, you yeah, know, the other people's perception obviously shouldn't really feed into who you are. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's like... You can't exist in a vacuum. Exactly. Like, you, you, you exist interacting with other people, but, like, you have... When you do... Uh, like, for example, you look at yourself in the mirror. Or yeah. The prince, say the, the cobbler in the prince's body looks at himself in the mirror. He sees the prince. Yeah. But he does not see himself. No. So... He would go, I'm in the prince's body. Yeah. Like he, he, you know, you look, if you if you switch bodies with someone, you, well, if that ever happened, you go to the mirror and go, oh my god, this isn't me. Yeah. Uh, so there's obviously a reason to believe that the body and the mind are not equal, but definitely very important to constituting what it means to be yeah. human. But obviously, it depends on how much you uh, identify with your body uh, yeah. from your mind's perspective. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a pretty good segue into <laughs> into AI. Yeah. Uh, because all that, like you know, now, I'm. It's ironic that I end up studying. Well, ironic. I got branded AI phobic. Yeah. And then um, got got put on. Well, not put on, but decided to do a machine learning course, which is just AI. So, <laughs> um, but it, I'd say it helps to be AI phobic on the course. Like I. Uh, one of the parts that we learned about there's uh, philosopher Bryson. I think. She, they're from Swansea. Yeah. Uh, and they wrote a paper called, uh, I think, Robots Should Be Our Servants. Yeah. And, well, I had to argue if I agreed or not. <laughs> and, uh, well, what do you think, Vesible? I don't know. 
Well, in fact, Bryson went further. Bryson said robots should be our slaves, or ro robots should be slaves. What do you think about that? Hmm. I don't know, because, like... You can just have some sort of automated thing. We use that all the time, and we don't really care for it much. Like, a lot of bits of modern life are automated, and we essentially do use, use them as slaves. Like, we don't even consider the impact of what us tapping away on our computer is going to have on the computer. If, if it breaks, we just get a new one. Yeah. But as soon as you put that word intelligence in there, that sort of... It sort of opens things up because I feel like intelligence is linked to sensations and suffering. And I think inflicting suffering on something, you could pretty easily argue that it's the closest thing to objective wrong that you can have is inflicting suffering. I mean, like we said with... Um... Yeah, before the, we start the podcast about environmental ethics, yeah, where like we'd, I, I, I'd mentioned Kantian ethics, where uh, in Kantian ethics is stupid. Oh, there's, there's a lot, of, <laughs> there's a lot of Kantian ethics, but this one, this one is particularly relevant. But like, you know, say you harm you. I think he uses a dog. You know, someone harms a dog. Yeah, it doesn't only it reflects badly on the one who's harmed the dog yeah, for no yeah, reason, yeah. right? If the dog's attacking you and you have no choice but to harm it, yeah, then obviously for self-preservation's sake it is okay to harm a dog but if you just abuse a dog for no reason yeah it doesn't just reflect it doesn't like harm the dog but it reflects oh well, I mean it does you. you know as I'm saying it harms the dog it doesn't but, just harm the yeah, dog okay, yeah, okay. It, it like well obviously that's the, the most egregious wrong yeah but then also it, Kant says it reflects badly upon you but from the perception of other people as well the reason why you say that you know someone like starts, uh, I don't know, like, destroying property, yeah. even if it's their own property, in a fit of anger. Yeah. It's why it's quite, not dangerous, but you kind of have that sort of, okay, I should be careful on this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. of the fact that this is how they, this, they treat the their The social property. impact of yeah. what you're doing to other things. Yeah. I mean, even though you're not directly impacting someone else. Yeah, Kant, Kant said that, well, it's a few steps from, well, I'm paraphrasing, but like, it's essentially a few steps from mistreating property to mistreating animals to mistreating people. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually... They're the, not as far away from yeah. each other because it as you'd think. Yeah, because you, essentially you, you're, you're desensitizing yourself to the violence. Save. And this is the nuance of the word slaves. Yeah. Uh, because the one thing that I think people would pick up on, obviously you picked up on intelligence. Yeah. But the word slave imply you know, there's a lot of history behind yeah, the word slave, yeah, yeah. right? But the thing is the... Um, in that paper, people, other philosophers were in fact very critical of yeah. the use of the word. Or some for reasons such as, you know, like it is a very sensitive uh, It's topic. connotated to yeah. all these sort of but horrible things. The, also, the other side of the coin on that is the use of the word slave implies someone has had, like, someone, a human, yeah. has had their, like, their free will removed yeah. in order to perform tasks. Robots do not have that free will. They cannot be slaves by virtue of definition. Ah. Yeah. So I. Oh, yeah. I see. So obviously it's a very technical gotcha moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. In, if you do turn it to servants, I actually went further and said they should be tools. Obviously. Yeah, you, yeah, because like, you don't ask the hammer if you want to use it before yeah, you use it. Yeah. You just use it. Like, uh, the thing is, like, when. Like, so when see, I, I feel like that's that, the standpoint that I would get behind the yeah. most is. If you use it as a tool, but then you get to the point of like, if it has intelligence, can it compute morality and emotion and all of that? And if it has a sense of morality and it has a sense of like feeling and suffering and all of that, then you have to ask its permission. And then as soon as you start asking permission, it would become a slave because if you don't ask permission, it's a slave. Mm. But the, so that's the thing, though. But that's a slave assumes the existence of free will in the first place. Yes. So if if it, I mean, it would be wrong if, well, first of all, to program something to be sentient and feel. Yeah. Free. Imagine imbuing yeah. coded yeah. with free will. I mean, like, how? That's a moral nightmare. It's a moral nightmare for us because now we've now we're just problems. God. Yeah, but also it's a moral problem. 
because we've inflicted suffering on something that yeah, but then, to suffer. Yeah, then you can project that exact argument of the child. Oh, yeah, of course. But and things... that's always an easy get out. But, oh, yeah. but it is something worth thinking about. It's like, how is creating something with free will that's just lines of code any different to childbirth? Because childbirth is just creating something with free will. See, I, I argued the point that because if something's biological, right, as a biological genesis, yeah, don't know why that was the first one that popped in my head, but anyway, um, it will invariably die at some point, right? Oh, yeah, there is, and the thing is, death carries a pretty severe penalty, if you will, to existence, yeah. So, the, in ending it, yeah, right. So, you is like when, but the thing is, like. Obviously, this point it becomes a bit more vague if we ever find out a way to upload consciousness, or yeah, you know, if you've ever watched Altered Carbon, where like they have that little thing in there. Uh, basically, like in that show. No, I know what uploading yeah, yeah. consciousness. I know it's what you like, mean. They've that. got this like little thing in their neck. It's like that German guy from um, Captain America: Civil War. But yeah, if, if you can do that, then obviously this point becomes a little less uh, yeah. impactful. But the thing is, like, if your biological, uh, any biological being has the ability to die in, yeah. fin in finality, right? So far. We don't know a way of reviving something. Yeah. So On the, a permanent the, basis. Yeah. thing with a robot, uh, with an AI, yeah. is that a robot, you know, say you do destroy a robot. You know, you've seen the photos of vandalized robots and stuff. And you're yeah. Like, okay, yeah. I, I, you know, it, it's been harmed. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's quite sad. You know, people, people like, just killed that hitchhiking robot. See, the <laughs> yeah. word killed there, is, it, shouldn't, I sh it shouldn't be used. Like, and they, they, they destroyed it. But the thing is, by destroying a robot, you destroy a, essentially an AI's physical manifestation. Yeah. So... Because you can always just like re-upload exactly. it. Exactly. You, you, you can replicate it for significantly lower cost as well than what it probably would be to raise a human to that, you know... Yeah. To that level again, like that level of consciousness. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of sci-fi stuff that yeah. could, could make this argument moot. I don't see a reality in which we don't we have can... to worry about that for yeah. a long time. So, so that's, that's, that's not. Yeah, that's how I argued the fact that obviously, first of all, do not imbue your robots or AI with uh, free will in the first place. Oh God, yeah. Because if it ever were to find out that we we've been using them for very menial tasks, yeah, uh, I'd assume. That any free will kind of being would not really want that. I think unless you program. The thing is, is when you have free will, you're open to persuasion as well. You're open to persuasion and uh, what's incentivization as well. Mm. But if you're persuading this AI and you're incentivizing this AI, what is the difference between this and a person? So in terms of tasks and work. I think obviously task-wise, like you know, this for like, you know for all intents and purposes, we can say a phone. You know, yeah. That's a that's something that we use every that's day. That's a tool. Yeah, it's a tool. A person, you wouldn't really. Well, you wouldn't really ask them to do tasks similar to a computer. No. Uh, you know, you wouldn't say to a person, uh, "Hey, can you quickly just uh, calculate?" Uh, you know, it was like three point four five times like minus twenty two point. I don't know. Three. Yeah, uh, just uh, you wouldn't ask them to do that. I mean, you could, but then they just whip out a calculator and do it anyway. Yeah, like, I mean, that's a pretty bad example. But I think the you know, the difference between humans and robots is probably just like, well, there's a lot of differences. Yeah, but um, it's the case that humans have, well, that you know, the mind they have the free will, they have what makes them human. Yeah, and giving it to a robot not only cheapens what it means to be human, mm -hmm. but also it would mean that well if you were to make a robot more human and give it like you know emotion emotions a whole can of worms really. oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah but like if you give it emotion consciousness whatever it's dangerous because then you're liable to dehumanize it further cheapening the human experience as it is like i know and obviously oh you're liable to dehumanize it because it's like not a human in the first place well that's you, you, you cannot dehumanize something that's not human yeah but like i mean there, there's so many different issues with just this one essay like you know giving giving robots free will and then rights yeah is almost objectively wrong right now because well not everyone has equal rights mm. uh across the planet maybe yeah. once that's sorted out i mean again that's just like it's one of those things that's a peripheral problem yeah uh well it's, it's, a very, it's not really it's, something we need to worry about yeah, right now. it's a very important problem 
eventually. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was, this was a very, very, very interesting paper that I wrote. I think I, I think it was uh, probably my favorite one I had written throughout my three years. I don't know. I feel like that we've drawn it to a natural close. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was good. I really enjoyed having you on, actually. I really enjoyed to be here. Oh, that was good. I'll have to be well, back. Thanks. <laughs> and um, probably see you and see you, see you. You'll probably be hearing from us in the next couple of weeks as well. Not uh, just me, probably. Dav's not going to come back on again unless he wants to. I'd happily come back if you uh, have me. Well, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you.